Today we are in our final week of the Not a Fan series. Uh, Not a Fan is all about not simply being a fan of Jesus in terms of someone who admires Jesus or likes being associated with him without commitment. Jesus is looking for fully committed followers who are willing to make him their number one priority in their lives. Uh, Back six weeks ago when we began the series, I started with the story of one of the most intimidating experiences I ever had in my life. It was on February 4th of 2004. I was sitting down across the table uh, from a young woman named Shelly, laying out before her my feelings and my thoughts for her. I liked her a lot, but I had no idea what she thought of me. But I wanted to pursue a deeper relationship with her if she was willing and, inter- and interested. And to my delight and surprise, she was. She felt the same way about me as I felt about her. And uh, back in the first week of Not a Fan, I said that was one of the most significant experiences of my life when we decided to try to take our uh, relationship to a deeper level. And from that day on, um, over the next weeks and the next months, I set out to pursue Shelly. I set out to uh, just try to get to know her better, to build a deeper relationship with her. And I gave it everything I had. Um, One of the first things I had to do was figure out a first date. Uh, That first conversation was not so much a date, but we had our first date, and I had to figure out, okay, what in the world are we going to do on our first date? Um, It wasn't that hard to figure out where we were going to eat or what we were going to do. But one of the question marks I had was flowers. You see, I'd never before purchased flowers for a girl. And I didn't know a thing about flowers at that point. And so I called up one of my female co-workers and asked her to give me some advice on what do you do with flowers for someone you just started to date. And she, as as we were talking, we realized there was a spectrum of flowers. On one end of the spectrum are carnations. Um, you really don't want to get carnations uh, for your s- spouse or girlfriend um, unless they are someone who really happens to like carnations and, you, and you've already proven that. Carnations are one end of the spectrum. Definitely was not getting those for Shelley. The other end of the spectrum were roses, especially red roses, which are, are much deeper, symbolize a deeper level of love and, and commitment. We said, okay, roses are probably not appropriate for first date either. We kind of went somewhere in the middle, something with the wildflowers. I didn't know specific names beyond that, but, but that was what came out of the conversation with my coworker of was get some wildflowers for her. So I did. It worked out pretty well. Um, first day went well. Um, we, we continued to get to know each other better and better through the months. I put a lot of time and energy into designing these elaborate dates and into these really nice dinners and then just trying to get to know each other better. And it came to the point where it was time to take her level of commitment to a new level, to a deeper level in terms of engagement. Uh, we both knew it was coming at some point. Shelley had been dropping some hints uh, along the way about a certain type of ring she would like to have. But I'll, I'll tell you that, that that still didn't help as much as it could have. I mean, if you've ever been in a jewelry store, you, you know that, I mean, if that's foreign ground to you, it can be very intimidating. I knew it was going to be... Uh, kind of challenging for me, so I decided to take along my roommate. Uh, We were both a couple guys just out of college. Neither one of us knew a thing about the foreign world of jewelry stores, but we thought together we we could navigate our way through it. Um, We quickly learned about the four C's of diamonds, uh, cut, carrot, color, and clarity, and and learned a lot of other stuff. We went to a whole bunch of stores and and eventually came up with a ring that, that Evidently worked pretty well because when I presented it to Shelly and asked her to marry me, she said, sure. Or she said, yes, I, w- I don't know what she said. <laughs> she didn't say sure. 
But she was definitely on board with that. But through those months, I put in so much time and effort and energy and thought and prayer into how to deepen our relationship with each other. How can I honor Shelly? How can I help her to like me? How can we just enjoy our time together? It's, it makes sense when you are enthralled with someone and when you're in love with someone that you're going to invest time and energy and, and prayer and thought and money even into deepening that relationship. And when we look in other parts of our life, when we see something that really captivates us, it's very common to devote everything we have to pursuing that thing. For instance, I see times when people are enthralled by, by getting a promotion at work or by getting some award or just trying to please others at work that they will give their work everything they have. For them, that makes sense. I've seen others who, whose life goal seems to be to have a great body. They will um, be working out in the gym for hours a day. They will watch everything they eat. For them, they will give everything they have to having that great body. And we can probably identify a number of other things that, that are very easy for us to give ourselves fully to when we're motivated by whatever we think is lovely or, or whatever we treasure or whatever we really want. But what about Jesus? Are we willing to give that same level of effort to following Jesus that we so easily give to our work or to a boyfriend or girlfriend, to a spouse, to a child, maybe to, our, to create, uh, crafting our physique? I mean, there are any number of things we can give our attention to, but do we give that same focus and attention and passion to Christ as we do to all these other things? That's really what separates a follower from a fan. A follower is someone who says, following Jesus is worth everything I have. A fan says, you know what, I like being associated with Jesus, but I'm not sure if I really want to be all in. It's really the difference maker. Do you want to be all in or not? This morning, I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, uh, you can grab a Bible from the pew or the chair in front of you. Uh, we actually looked at a little, passage, a little bit of John 6 back in the first week of this series. Uh, but today, we're going to dig into that passage in more depth. We're in John 6. We're going to begin in verse 25. Um, but let me recap what happened in the first part of this passage that we're uh, not going to touch on today. Uh, there are two very well-known stories that occur in the first part of John chapter 6. First of all, you have what's called the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus was a very popular teacher at that point, and he, through, God was working through him to do many great miracles, heal many people, just do some amazing things. And there was quite a crowd who was gathering around him. In fact, upwards of 5,000 people gathered around him. He was out in a wilderness area, not a lot of other towns or anything around. And it became late in the day, and people were starting to get hungry, and, and people began wondering, okay, where are we going to get food? It would cost a lot of money to get all this food if we could, if there's even any town around here to support um, that many people getting food. Jesus decided to perform a miracle. He took five loaves of bread and two fish. He multiplied them, and that was enough food to feed 5,000 people. An amazing miracle. Then after that, Jesus was uh, dismissing the crowd, and he sent his 12 disciples, his 12 closest followers, to the only boat that was there on the shore by this lake. And he sent them out across the lake on the boat while Jesus dismissed the crowd. And then um, what we see happening later is that Jesus decides to join his disciples. There's no boat, so he does the only logical thing to do. He walks on water to go chase down his disciples. Um, he could do that because he's God in human form. Most of us wouldn't be able to do that, but Jesus was able to do so. He was able to walk in the water to go to his disciples. 
And that's where we pick up in this passage today. Um, that, that Jesus has rejoined his disciples, but the people, many of whom had camped out there overnight, they've awakened, and they're wondering, where in the world did Jesus go? So that's where we're going to pick up today. But before we turn to Scripture, let's pray that God will guide us through this time. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that you will be our teacher this morning, uh, that you will help us to value you more. Uh, we have many things in our lives that compete for our attention and our affection. Um, but Lord, you are the best of all. And I pray that this morning, as we open your word, that the words that were written 2,000 years ago will come to life in our lives today, helping us to see how to treasure you more so that we will be more motivated to follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to look at this passage in three sections. And then out of those three sections, we're going to draw three different questions that can help clarify where we are in our relationship with Christ and whether we really are ready to grow as a follower. The first part we're going to look at is verses 25 through 27. Um, there, uh, we see that people have been searching for Jesus. And it says in verse 25, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So what we see happening here is the people have come and found Jesus, and they ask a very logical question. They ask Jesus, when did you get here? Or how did you get here? Because they knew full well that there was only one boat over there where they had been, and the disciples took that. Jesus didn't, but here Jesus is on the other side of the lake. So how did he get there? But Jesus senses that there's a deeper issue at play here. And that's the first question we're looking at this morning. The question of why are you here? Why are you here? You see, Jesus didn't actually answer their question directly. They asked, when did you get here? They may have been inferring, how did you get here? He didn't answer those types of questions here. Instead, he, he points to their motives for why are you looking for me? Why are you here? He says, I tell you the truth in verse 26. You are looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, basically you have a whole bunch of people here who are, who are searching Jesus out, jumping on the Jesus bandwagon. Uh, Jesus has become a very popular teacher, a popular miracle worker. And not, not only that, but he's fed all these people food. And we can't underestimate the power of free food. I was thinking about it as I was studying this passage, thinking about free food and his power— I'm a person who really likes food. Um, I, I just do. I like food. I, I, probably many of you like food as well. But free food is especially nice. Um, I thought there are a couple of reasons why I like free food. One is that when I get free food, it's oftentimes not from my own cupboards. And so it's some sort of food that I oftentimes don't have quite as often as I have at home or in my normal course of life. So it's, it's something kind of special. I also like free food because it's oftentimes with the company of other people. I really like being around people. And so free food oftentimes gives me an opportunity to, opportunity to be around other people. But one of the other reasons I really like free food, especially now that I'm the one who typically pays for my own food, is that free food is free. I don't have to pay for it. It's a free meal. It doesn't cost me anything at all. And, and it, it makes me feel like, hey, I'm saving money here by eating a meal that someone else is paying for rather than that I'm paying for myself. 
So it's natural human tendency to like food, and especially like free food. And even back here in the Roman Empire, many of these people were accustomed to getting free food. It was a common tactic of the Roman government at that time to offer free food to the people of the Roman Empire in order to appease them when they were not happy. I mean, when you get mobs of people who are rioting or who are just upset about some governmental decision, the government would give them free food and it would oftentimes pacify them and make them happy. And not, not only that, but many of these people in that culture were very poor. It was oftentimes some of the, the lower levels of society who had the least amount of money who were flocking to Jesus. And so it was very, for a very practical reason that they were excited to get his free food from him. But they wanted more. Jesus said, you came here because you ate the loaves of bread, you had your fill, and now apparently you want more. And so, so they, they're basically asking for more and more food. And, and they're probably asking for more miracles as well. They, they want to see more and more great stuff from Jesus. They're, they're on the Jesus bandwagon. But Jesus says to them, look, verse 27, don't work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, he's referring to himself there, the Son of Man, I'll give you this food, he's saying. He's saying, look, I offer you something greater. You came to me asking for food. You may have come to me asking for miracles. But I'm going to give you something even better. This is a spiritual type of food that can give you true eternal life. But what Jesus basically does here is draw a line in the sand. It's, it's basically a DTR type of question. DTR, um, if you weren't here the first week, it, it refers to define the relationship. It, it's that type of conversation that Shelley and I had back on February 4th of 2004 where, where we had to clarify, where are we in our relationship? Are we just casual friends? I mean, we, do we have a deeper interest in each other? Could it even lead to marriage one day? Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's saying, look, you all, you crowd, you came to me looking for more food, looking for miracles. What I'm offering you is great. It's actually greater than what you're looking for, but it's not what you came here looking for. I'm offering you something different and something even greater. Are you willing to go to the next level in your relationship with me? Is what Jesus is asking. Because he's offering something great, but are they willing to take it? So we have the question of why are you here? That's basically what he's asking these people. It's a question that I think applies to us as well. Why do we associate ourselves with Jesus? Why are we here at church this morning? There are many different reasons why we are here, whether it's in church or associated with Jesus. For some people, they, they associate themselves with Jesus and they go to church because that's what they feel like they should do. Uh, they have family members or friends who tell them, hey, you need to go to church, or they want to impress a family member or a friend. You have others who uh, are associated with Jesus in church because that's what they've always done. They grew up going to church, and so that's just a part of their lifestyle. You have others who associate themselves with Jesus and go to church because they want to grow closer to Christ. But we have the question of why are we here? Why do we associate ourselves with Jesus? So that's the first question here. I want to move on in this passage to see what happens next because the crowd's interest is definitely peaked. They're wondering, okay, what's going to happen here with Jesus? What are you offering us? And that'll draw out our next question that we're going to, going to examine. But I invite you to look back to your Bibles uh, in verse 28. It says that the crowd asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? 
Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And what we see happening here is that the crowd came to Jesus looking for literal physical bread that they could eat. And they were probably looking for some miracles and some nice teaching. But Jesus says, look, I'm going to offer you something different, something far greater. Are you willing to take it? Jesus offers them himself. and, And the question for us is this. When Jesus is all that's available, is he enough? We may come to Jesus for a variety of other reasons, or we may want to pursue a lot of other things in life, but when Jesus is ultimately the only one available to us, is he enough to really satisfy us? We see here in the latter part of this passage, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. What this shows is that it's really Jesus alone who can satisfy us. I mean, we're tempted to go a lot of other places, but Jesus is saying, you may want all these other things, but I'm the only place you're going to find true life and true sustenance for your life. It's been said that that we all have a God-shaped hole in us. And if we have a God-shaped hole, we may endeavor to fill that hole with a lot of other things in our lives. Material possessions, money, Um, the acclaim of others, uh, popularity, any number of other things we can try to use to fill that void. But if it's truly a God-shaped hole, nothing else will work. One of my favorite analogies along these lines comes from the author C.S. Lewis, who lived back in the mid-1900s. He said that just as a car is created to run on gasoline as its fuel, we are created to run on God as our fuel. A car doesn't run well if it's created to run on gasoline and you put coffee or or Pepsi or, or... water in the gas tank. It's created to run in gasoline. In the same way, we are created to run in God as our fuel. But the problem is we oftentimes seek all kinds of other fuels. Uh, inherently, we think, okay, Jesus isn't enough. We need something else to really fulfill us. But we probably know from our own practical experience, we know from talking with others, that no, matter, no, no amount of worldly success can ultimately fulfill us. Let me give you an example. Uh, many of you have probably heard the name Tom Brady. Uh, he is the current quarterback of the New England Patriots. He's won three Super Bowls. He's won a couple of MVP awards. He's one of the best quarterbacks, not only of this generation, but of all time. There was an interview of Tom Brady on, that was uh, broadcast on the news show 60 Minutes back in 2005. 2005 was really when he was at the height of his career. He's still great now, but then he'd already won three Super Bowls. He hadn't lost any Super Bowls yet since then he's lost two, but he'd won three Super Bowls. I mean, he was, he was great. He was a pop culture idol. A lot of people were just following everything he did. He was extremely popular, but on 60 Minutes, the interview, just asked him, what does it feel like to, to have all that you have in, the, in your life? Tom Brady said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. 
I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Tom Brady says, me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, this isn't. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. He's indicating there's something missing from his life still. And so the interviewer probes a little bit further to find out what do you think is missing? What, what's going to help you out here? Tom Brady responds, what's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football. And I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to figure out. Here, Tom Brady, by every worldly level of, or measure of success, is super successful. I mean, he has a multi-million dollar contract. Uh, he's won multiple Super Bowls, multiple MVP titles. Um, I mean, just super popular. I mean, he has pretty much everything any of us could ever hope for in terms of worldly things. But he's saying that even though I have all this stuff, there's still this emptiness, this hole in me. I'm not sure what it would take to fill it. Then we come back to this passage, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Speaking metaphorically here. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. It shows that Jesus alone can satisfy us. So when Jesus is all, all that's available, is he enough? What oftentimes happens is that we say with our mouths that Jesus is enough, but when we really look at our lives, we try to add more um, in terms of things that will give us a sense of purpose and success and happiness. We want Jesus and more money. We want Jesus and popularity. We want Jesus and that new iPhone, that new computer, that new car, that new house. Jesus specifically said that no one can serve both God and money. He's saying that you're either going to serve one or the other. You can't serve two masters. There's no and in following Jesus. It's Jesus or something else. But you can't, you can't follow both Jesus and these other things that we're trying to seek to give us a sense of purpose in our lives. So when Jesus is all that's available, is he enough? I want to fast forward a little bit in this passage. Jesus continues to talk about um, how he offers true life if people will come to him, believe in him, and follow him. But the people are getting a little bit antsy here. Look down to verse 60 with me. Um, he's been teaching some more, and it says, On hearing this teaching, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? See, Jesus' disciples are hearing this call to come follow him wholeheartedly, give him everything that they have. And they say, wow, this is really hard. It's, it's not that it's hard to understand. It's hard to accept. It's hard to give up your own control of your life. It's hard to surrender your dreams to him, to let God do through you what he wants to. Many of us feel the same way as we go through the Not a Fan series. That this call to follow Jesus, it's not easy. And that's what many of these people were saying around Jesus. And Jesus can tell that this is affecting them. And he specifically asks, does this offend you? But he's not worried about drawing a line in the sand that may, dri may drive some people away. I mean, he's one of those preachers that he cares a lot more about the commitment of the people around him than he does about drawing big crowds. He wants to see people committed to following him. So he's drawn the line in the sand and what he's done is he's offered himself to them. They came wanting bread. They came wanting more miracles. 
But he's offered himself. And, and so we have the question, they did then and we do now, will you choose to follow Jesus? Will you choose to follow Jesus? This is the hard teaching that they were experiencing. And we see down in verse 66 that many of them chose not to follow Jesus. It says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see what happened here? Jesus offered himself to people. He said, if you will just come to me, get to know me better, I will give you true life. And he was shot down. I mean, in dating terms, he was stood up. Imagine that you have someone who you really like. Um, you aren't married in this, in this imagination uh, that we're doing here. You have someone you really like, and you decide to ask them out on a date. They go on a date with you, and you decide, okay, we're going to go to the movies together. You, offer, you, you pay for their ticket. You pay for their popcorn and their drink. Um, you have a great time together. You, afterwards, you say, hey, you want to go out on a second date? And they say, sure. So you go out to the second date. You decide to make it a little bit nicer. You go to a nice restaurant, and, and they're able to order anything they want off the menu. You pick up the bill. Um, everything seems really nice. You go through a, a progression of additional dates. You continue to pick up the tab. You give them um, a number of gifts along the way. You really seem to be clicking with each other. You're having a good time together. Then you decide to go on a really special date. You invite them to go to the park with you. You're going on a nice walk in the park. You're just pouring out your heart to them. You sit down on a park bench. You, you tell them how much they mean to you, um, how, how you, you can't really imagine life apart from them, um, how you really want to share more and more of life together, and you really want to do everything you can to make them feel happy and fulfilled in their lives. And then in that moment that you think is such a meaningful, powerful moment where you're just bearing your soul to them, they look you in the eyes and say, is this it? When are we going to go do something? I mean, that would be crushing, wouldn't it? If, I mean, you're sitting there, you're enjoying the relationship with them, and then you find out that all they want is more stuff from you. They, want, they like the free stuff that you're getting them. They like the food. They like... The, the movie tickets, they like the gifts that you're getting them. They could care less about you yourself. But that's really what happened here in this passage, that Jesus offered himself to these people, and they denied him. They said, we want more of your stuff. We want more of your food, more of your miracles. We like being associated with you, but we don't really want to follow you to the point where we, you yourself are all that we have. Jesus then turns to his disciples and says, you don't want to leave me too. These are the 12 disciples who followed Jesus most closely. Simon Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I think what this shows is that true followers of Christ follow Christ. Now, this may sound kind of redundant, but it highlights the fact that if we are going to call ourselves followers of Christ— we actually need to follow him. There are other people in this passage who like being associated with him, but when the rubber hit the road, they chose not to follow him. But I really, I love Peter's words here when he says, Lord, where else do we have to go? I mean, Peter had given up his successful fishing business. He left his family to follow Jesus. I mean, he'd given up a lot. He could have gone back to that, but he said, look, you have the words of eternal life. Life is found in you. We want to stick close to you, even though we don't know where that's going to lead us. True followers do follow Christ. So we come back to the question of why are you here? Why are you here associating yourselves with Jesus? Why are we here this morning 
at church. You know that if the reason that we are here associated with Jesus in that church is because of a family member or a friend, odds are good if we never go deeper in our commitment to Christ than that, at some point we're going to walk away from Christ. I mean, I think about my life before I, um, before I was really a follower of Christ. I grew up in church. My family took me to church most weeks. But when I got to college, my family was no longer there to watch over my shoulders all the time and to encourage me to go to church. I very quickly found it's much easier to sleep in on Sunday mornings than go to church. And that's, the way, that's what happens if the primary reason you associate with Jesus or go to church is because of family or friends. If the primary reason that you associate with Jesus and go to church is because it's something you've always done and that's just what you do, odds are good you're going to be half-hearted in what you're doing. If you um, are just here because you feel like you're supposed to be, it's easy to get hard-hearted and bitter and it feels like a burden rather than a joy to be here to follow Christ. If you're here just because you want to get into heaven rather than hell, you want some fire insurance from hell, odds are good you're going to ask for what's the minimum I can do rather than what does Jesus really want me to do in terms of following him. Jesus is looking for followers. And, and, but if we are here because of the greatness of who Jesus is, because we recognize life is found nowhere else and we want to know Jesus as well as possible, it's going to drive us to pursue him with everything we have. Now one of the questions that I know has been raised through this Not a Fan series, I've heard many of you asking it, is how does this apply to our day-to-day lives? Does Jesus really want us all to sell everything and move overseas and be a missionary in Africa? Well, that's a very relevant question. What does it look like to follow Jesus in our day-to-day lives? Now, as I said, this is our last week of the Not a Fan series, but we're going to continue talking about following Christ in our next series, which starts next week. I'm going to say the name of the next series, and for some of you it's going to make immediate sense. For some of you it may not. Uh, The next series that we're going to start next week is called Follower Apps. Uh, If you're familiar with an iPhone or an iPad or any other smartphone, you're probably familiar with apps. They're little, um, they're applications, they're little computer programs that enable you you to do something specific. What we're going to be talking about is how do you apply follower principles to our day-to-day lives? What does it mean to follow Christ from day to day to day? We're going to be looking at the book of James. Uh, James is, uh, the book of the Bible is probably the most uh, relevant are the most practical in terms of following Christ in our day-to-day lives. So we're going to be talking about how do we follow Christ on a daily basis and, and the ups and downs of our daily lives and our relationships and, and our work and, and the various things that we experience in life. Now when we go back to Jesus' call in Luke chapter 9 to follow him, that's really the, the cornerstone of this Not a Fan series. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I mean, that, that, that's a call to wholehearted, total surrender in following Christ. Sounds like, wow, that, that's, that's challenging. But I, I compare that with John 6.35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, it's going to cost everything you have. But if you come after me, you're going to find true life. And that's what it means to be a follower, that we're following him with everything we have, giving, we're just pouring our whole lives into that pursuit of him. But along the way, we're going to find that he gives true life. My prayer is that each of us will be growing as followers of Christ who experience his true life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will be at work in our lives. 
helping us to follow you more faithfully. We do recognize that there are many things in our lives that pull us other directions. It's easy to say, I want Jesus and this other stuff. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see that you are more than enough for us. That you do have the words of eternal life. That there's really no other pursuit worth giving our lives to than a pursuit of following you. And so I pray that you will draw us deeper in our relationship with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.